This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. 2023 was a slog for most organizations as they worked out of the deficit that they found themselves in throughout 2022. We ended the year on the up overall, but margins are settling around one and a half to maybe two and a half percent at a median. And that's coming from our friends over at Coffin Hall. And the question is, can we as an industry survive on those margins or not? Likely not, given the inflationary pressure, especially on labor that continues. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran, in a series that will be familiar to many SG2 listeners and members. We're going to talk about the year ahead. Every year in January, we release a webinar with some of our thoughts for the year ahead. I've asked the team that just delivered that webinar to come and share some of those same thoughts through the podcast. It's the familiar voice of Bill Woodson and Brian Esser and Cassie Rattler joining. Thank you all so much. This is a big topic, another tough year. Bill, set it up. What's the theme for this year? How can you, in one sentence, think about what health systems are going to be focused on strategically this year? We have a theme for our conference this summer, Trevor. It's a pivotal moment. Having said that, having been on the phone or been on site a couple times this year, there's clearly an outside-in and an inside-out focus that systems are wrestling with. There are the forces that we talk about all the time that are shaping your strategic direction. What I find now is that there's lots of discussions about what are we doing to execute? And so underneath that term, this is the inside-out view, systemness, a term I hate, agility, work structure, the role of planning, and how we tying together our strategic plan with operational plan. There's just a lot of that work going on, whether it's a small system or a big system. As they stabilize their economic situation on the income statement side or the balance sheet, there's a lot of internal work going on to prioritize. Prioritization would be my key word to summarize this. Brian, give us a little more on the financial side. If last year's year ahead, you'd predicted that on average health systems would flip from being slightly red to slightly black, people would have viewed that as a pretty positive and bold prediction, but that's where we are. At the same time, I haven't heard any leadership team say, this is great, we're in terrific shape right now. It's viewed as unsustainable. How do you think that's going to continue moving, shifting, evolving throughout the year? 2023 was a slog for most organizations as they worked out of the deficit that they found themselves in throughout 2022. We ended the year on the up overall, but margins are settling around one and a half to maybe two and a half percent at a median. And that's coming from our friends over at Coffin Hall. The question is, can we as an industry survive on those margins or likely not given the inflationary pressure, especially on labor that continues? We've seen a drawdown in contract labor, but there is still pieces out there and labor is up 10, 15 percent across the board. So that's an issue. Supplies continue to remain up. And the one that we're thinking about this year is not so much the expense side because you can't cut yourself to growth. Ultimately, we need to think about revenue and growth on the top line even more aggressively. So a lot of focus there, particularly around Medicare Advantage and commercial and how those negotiations go will, for most organizations, dictate how they are doing financially for the next contract cycle, which could be upwards of three years. Am I positive? I'm more positive than I was last year. Let's put it that way. Most organizations are feeling a bit tenuous, hoping for the best, preparing for the worst, which goes to this idea of incrementalism and being being really solid in your fundamentals and making sure the foundation is strong while a few bold bets that will move your organization forward that are dictated for your specific market or markets you're working in are going to be important. 
And if we look at some of the presentations that were delivered at the JP Morgan conference, there was a good bit of review on stability of the income side and then some focus on the balance sheet. And so a lot of the large systems still have a good bit of cash and they're deciding how to invest that. But we do look at like the disparity of the systems that presented. We've got Air Mountain because their health plan has something like a 6% margin versus Cleveland Clinic that's looking at something more like 2%. There's a razor edge to the performance this year as systems continue to work on cost performance, rev cycle, things they can control on the labor side, the supply side. Both excellent organizations, and some of that's dictated by where they play. Iron Mountain, a large geographic footprint versus a Cleveland Clinic, high-end quaternary AMC. Just thinking about how does that interplay, the expense profiles they're undertaking, funding mechanisms. Most are saying, hey, we need to make sure that whatever we're working on is going to move the entire organization forward in a financially positive way. Balance sheet-wise, Capital is tight. I was with a set of organizations last week facilitating a panel where even the largest national providers saying, hey, we want to make some of these bigger pivots bolder moves towards ambulatory, but we need to do it a bit on the cheap because we don't have the capital to deploy. And oh, we're also trying to build these bed towers that we desperately need due to capacity issues. There is this, how do we make the right moves? We know these are strategically the right ways to go to capture the ambulatory growth, prepare for value-based care, but we need to do it in a fiscally good steward way. Bill, pull more on that capacity thread. I feel like that's one of the non-incremental big make or break things that systems have already made pretty strong progress on. How do you think it's going to play out this year? The issue is still there. And if we go back to our PEDS and AMC summit last year, that issue is top of mind for all of them, particularly the academic medical centers. They're full. So let's take the positive view of this. What are they doing about it? How are they addressing it? They're taking on the tough issues. Why are the patients here in the first place? Should we have some responsibility around that? In other words, is there a percentage of our admissions that are avoidable? And are we connected to why they're avoidable? That sounds like a good story to me. How long are they here? Can we manage that more differently with care coordination, remote nursing, or other aspects of our protocols internally. Maybe we're incorporating AI into monitoring sepsis patients. There's a lot of operational improvements that will start to kick in on managing capacity this year. And then the real tough one, where are the patients going as we try to discharge them? Can we handle them at home? Do we have capacity at any sort of skilled nursing facility, rehab center? There's a lot of emphasis on the post-acute care side of the system of care and getting patients out more quickly. Also, the discharge process. If we constrain the supply, the capacity, it seems like positive things are going to happen on the productivity side of the delivery system. Let's take the optimistic view that some good things are underway and they're going to continue this year. As Bill's talking about inpatient capacity management and all the innovation that's been taking place via technology, we are hearing so much about ambulatory and we spent a ton of time talking about that, but they go hand in hand. If ambulatory access is strained, then unnecessary utilization will go up. That's part of where health systems are now focusing. Integrated across your system of care and all of your assets is going to help achieve those goals. More organizations are trying to find innovative ways to figure that out instead of just looking at it as basic blocking and tackling. Let's think bigger, think differently. We'll see some of that play out this year, in part out of necessity to get the right admissions in the hospital, but in part because ambulatory growth is so top of mind for everybody. All right, Brian, what are those few growth spots that everyone's going to be chasing this year, especially because we know capital is going to be constrained and just resources and bandwidth to focus on anything but internal perspective? Where are people going to be focused externally? 
we're hearing just from the volume of it, Medicare Advantage is a big, big piece of the pie. And we see growth in enrollment moving forward. You and I work every year on the insurance coverage forecasts. We're getting a lot of questions. Is that population or that enrollment going to decline or slow down maybe? Likely not. But how do you position yourself knowing that within that payer class, most organizations are losing money as compared to just traditional fee-for-service Medicare? How do you position typically a value-based care-oriented fashion to capture those patients, maybe narrow your payer partnership to streamline some that volume to your organization and then understand how to make margin on that through the shared savings and value-based side uh, much more holistically than you have on the traditional fee-for-service side. That's one. And then the employers are interesting. We have a low unemployment rate continuing. Hopefully, we avoid that recession that the Fed is calling for, fingers crossed. But if that continues, we have employers still seeing 6 to 7% growth in their expense profile for healthcare benefits and expenditures. And they're looking for a relief valve. Cassie, I know you're looking at venture capital disruptors who are trying to fill that spot. But can you as a provider holistically hold yourself out to your employer base, small, medium, and large, typically self-insured, and say, we know how to help you drop or at least flatline that expense growth within your benefits? They're looking for those kind of dynamics much more aggressively than they maybe have in the past. Let me go to more of the basic stuff from what we hear from our members. Access isn't working. Patients can't get into ambulatory sites, specialists, even primary care. That remains the front door or side door strategy. That's number one. Let me give you number two, the keeping patients in the system, but it's continuity of care, hanging on to patients that you do have so they don't leak your system. Patients are just voting with where they can get in at this point, and that really matters. And this is where the SUG's consumer strategy matters a lot. The third area matters a bit more to our academic system members, but pharmacy is an area for growth for most systems right now and profitability. There's a lot of focus in that area as well. Yeah, Bill, I'm also excited by the amount of change on the access side that I've seen people make. And a lot of it's been the blocking tackling of just making their digital front door look and feel easier to use. I'm actually excited at how much quick progress I've seen there. Cassie, one of the stories you guys also brought up in Year Ahead is proliferation of partnerships moving from thinking about disruptors as they're just competitors now. And then there's been plenty of partners there. You expect more this year, you expect bigger scale. I'd argue the ones we've seen have been little experimental pilots, and I'm waiting for some bigger scale ones. What are you expecting? There are several that are pretty big scale. Those are the newsworthy ones. And then we don't hear about some of the smaller partnerships. I think this is going to be a big year because all of the small companies, the startups. So we spent a little bit of time talking about how venture capital backed entities are providing really niche care models to specific consumers. What consumer you're specifically going for hasn't been as much of an emphasis for the traditional care provider as it has been for these smaller companies that are looking at a really specific niche of patients, maybe have have designed a very specific care model because it's direct to employer, because it's a value-based care, MA plan, whatever it is. These startups that are smaller need partners to survive because similar to healthcare organizations, we've all been weathering the same economic landscape. They weren't able to get funding as much in the last year. And there have been a huge slowdown in IPOs, huge slowdown in acquisitions. All of that pent-up demand for a buyer or for a partner is going to come out this year. What we have found as I I've researched where the investors are working with healthcare providers is that the startups and the investors need these partnerships just as well as we need them to add some expertise to our skill sets. This will continue. You might not get your large deal, huge scale itch scratched this year. It probably is going to be a lot of smaller deals that are much more regional, much more specific to certain consumer groups. It'll be a big year of activity all the same. 
I don't have the crystal ball to say what specific areas and what specific healthcare organizations, but I think so many will look to partner because there's going to be a lot of interest from the startup side or from the VC side saying, okay, what are we going to do with these companies? How are we going to make these things all work? Cassie, during the webcast, it's a tangent topic, but you commented on primary care, what's going on in that space. Can you just lay out where you think the segments play out and how that space is evolving for our members right now? Brian already talked a little bit about Medicare Advantage, and that's been the area of so much growth in the last several years. We touched upon in the webinar that Medicaid is another area of growth that traditional providers have had a hard time managing that population. So a lot of startups are trying to come in, use technology, throw money at that problem and see if they can figure it out. We'll continue to see those care models that are designed for the underserved populations where access is extremely limited because of the communities that they're in. We're going to continue to see other niches be explored whether that's women's health care, other specialty areas. Primary care on the whole isn't going to be delivered in that traditional model anymore because there's a litany of other choices for consumers to grab onto. And now we're figuring out how that new primary care system looks and healthcare providers have an opportunity to redesign care, although that'll be a challenge. If we're talking about incremental change, it's not like all that's going to take place in 2024. That'll be a multi-year strategy for a lot of the larger health systems that want to actually create some compelling primary care offerings and compete with these new entrants. If things go really well this year, which as forecasters, we always have to walk that balance beam of hopeful, optimistic, pushing health systems in a positive direction, but knowing that we might fall off the beam too. If things go great, what are we going to be talking about this time next year? I've got two topics that are worth paying attention to. Number one, we're fortunate to work with organizations like Dana-Farber and MD Anderson. The amount of activity that's going on in the cellular therapy space for cancer patients is extraordinary. It's exploding. The economics have not been sorted out, but the number of new therapies coming in that are available to patients is going to be a powerful story over the next several years. The second is Medicare Advantage. If we're looking at that space holistically, we're going to see some bold plays start to stitch together the system of care around those patients in new ways. And let's look at all the pieces. So you've got primary care, traditional aspects of post-acute, social services, housing, memory care, assisted living, you got pharmacy, and of course, independent living. I see some really bold moves with partnerships. I'm putting those pieces together, tied to Medicare Advantage, but also tied to our health system members and how they work with these patients. That's right. Even to harken back, and, and during the webinar, we mentioned some partners, Ohio Health, working with Privia, Novant, doing similar things, but rethinking these platforms they've built, the clinically integrated network, and bringing in all those partners you just mentioned, and thinking a clinically integrated network plus that regional or partner play. I don't know what the new acronym would be for that, but really making that a hub of activity that goes beyond traditional healthcare, really into population health as we think it more really public health-wide, and then targeted at specific segments, and then capable of taking on risk in much more aggressive manners. That's going to be interesting. Some have gone down that path eagerly. Others are being dragged that way, but the pressure point on the governmental payer side will push more to be thinking through that. We'll be talking less about workforce and capacity because I'm optimistic that we're going to make some really good progress this year. Let's hope so. Like solve some of the problems that we've been having. We just talked about partnerships, primary care redesign, all of these things. I would love to see healthcare providers actually feeling like these partnerships are successful and that they are incentivized to continue to innovate in that way because otherwise there are going to be two healthcare systems being designed, the private sector one and the nonprofit healthcare one. So I would like to continue to see those two worlds collide. And also for just the financial sustainability, we touched on JP Morgan Chase Conference and a 
few of the things that came out of that. We also heard from a lot of noteworthy AMCs like Mayo and MassGen that they're spinning off their own companies and those revenue diversification plays, I hope, are fruitful and more attempt to forge those types of initiatives. If we're only going to be having 2% margins going forward, the revenue diversification is needed. And so I hope this year, at the end of the year, healthcare organizations have figured out their sustainability plan from everything that's going on in the environment right now. Those are all great ones. The only thing I would add is if things go great this time next year, we'll say like consumers now understand the landscape better and are picking traditional health systems because traditional health systems have made their value proposition in a really clear way and cleared up some of the doors we have closed in their face in the past around access and communication and pieces like that. We already hear some positive stories there. I hope we can hear a groundswell. Thanks all so much for sharing your perspective, for doing some of the hardest stuff we do, which is try to forecast what's coming in the year ahead. Thanks again for joining. Always value your perspectives. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.